All right, welcome back to the Hang and Hunt podcast, where we're hanging out today and we're talking about uh, suburban versus rural hunting. Mm-hmm. I'm Billy. This is Taylor. So let's get into it. I'm sure you get this all the time, man, because I get it all the time too. Mm-hmm. Where we start talking about urban hunting, what we do, and you know, it's very easy to explain what we do as urban hunting because we start talking about the deer density and yep. the massive overpopulation of white-tailed deer here. So. The stat that, that really stuck with me a long time ago was from Kevin Rose, who's a buddy of ours who has since uh, relocated to Montana. Kevin worked in, for the uh, Department of Fish and Game here, and he told me that the deer density, the carrying capacity for our area was 11 to, to 14 deer per yeah. square mile. Something south under of 15. Under 20. Yeah, yeah definitely right. under 20. And their best guess we had 400 to 425 deer per square mile. And let, all right, so let's explain a little bit uh, the difference between biological carrying capacity and cultural carrying capacity. So biological carrying capacity means the number of deer that are optimal for the ecosystem. Right. Cultural carrying capacity varies widely, right? If you are in a suburb where the deer are eating people's roses and azaleas and ruining their landscapes there's some people there who culturally would like zero deer there yeah and now you have other you know hunting states big time hunting states that they're like man i really wish we had more deer in our state we wish we could have 400 deer per square yeah. mile and right? they, they think differently of the deer and i think it's important to note that like at a thirty thousand foot view basically what we've done here in northern virginia is we've taken pretty medium to poor quality whitetail habitat in in our our woods here and we've replaced those woods with suburban homes Mm -hmm. and with that replacement each one of those homes has a yard with the pretty landscaping and the bushes and the flowers and the deer just devour it Mm -hmm. and also what we've done is we've taken traditionally huntable habitat and replaced it with traditionally unhuntable habitat now obviously we would argue differently because we thrive in that environment but generally we are providing better food for whitetails in i mean we could argue that point as well but but generally we're taking away just the woody browse and we're replacing it with fertilized food sources Mm -hmm. that they might not prefer but they're able to live off of and then we're taking away hunting opportunities to where now they've it's like the perfect scenario mm-hmm. for there's a, no predators there's exactly. there are very few hunters you know typically have been in those suburban settings so the population is going to explode uh, one of the reasons we have uh, cult- cultural pushback on the deer density in these areas it's not because um, people don't like seeing deer in the parks it's because their cars are just walloping them on every road even small residential roads uh, and then the landscaping that they're that they're it's being destroyed yeah um there's literally are there are there's a lengthy list of stuff that you can't plant i mean you can plant it but mm-hmm. it was going to be devoured mm-hmm. i had a hosta in my backyard oh, when yeah. i first moved in here salad i didn't know what it was it was just like this little bulb and it was like eaten down to the ground i could tell it was a large plant at one point it wasn't until i moved in here and started removing deer 
that I then realized, I'm like, oh, that's a giant hosta. Yep. You know, RuPaul's like half the size of this table. <laughs> I'm like, that's a beautiful, beautiful plant. I made that come back, you know? But it, it, it uh, you know, we joke about it, but it's really bad mm-hmm. uh, just generally how, how many deer there are. But yeah. in our explaining of that, it people assume that, oh, urban hunting is really easy mm-hmm. because there are deer everywhere. And it's not that there are... Like when we say they're 420 deer per square mile, it's not that there's a square mile and then they're 420 deer evenly distributed in that square, right? They're pockets where they're going to thrive in like parks or floodplain areas or just natural areas that that the deer would migrate to. And they're going to be spots that are like no deer Mm -hmm. that are worthless. And, And so in our mission of going in and hunting those deer and having that kind of mindset it, it's definitely not easy to, to kill them now you can get on them and see a good number of deer like we could go hop in my car right now and go drive around and probably see some deer but you know i try to explain it to people like this i'm like deer do not want to die deer want to survive just like every other animal out there and they've been you know they have have evolved to not die. Mm-hmm. And so when we get into one of those situations where we can hunt a property, we can hunt, uh, let's say it's a two acre property or a five acre property. Um, that's one five acre property in a neighborhood that may be 300 acres. As soon as we kill a couple deer in that two acre lot, they say, oh, danger zone. I'll just stay out of that too. I'll avoid that, that, that tree. I'll avoid that single tree. Right. Exactly. exactly. And, and then they're elsewhere. And so... Like as we start looking at the differences between suburban and rural hunting, I mean that's the first thing that comes mm-hmm. to mind is is like hunting to me is chess, right? Sometimes the way I do it, it's more like checkers, tic tac toe, yeah, <laughs> exactly, or hangman. But it's I mean it's a calculated game, mm-hmm. and you need to know know the prey, and you need to be able to kind of think ahead about your access and um, you know, your ingress, egress, and think about what you're disturbing as you're going into that area. Well, now if you take that game that I'd be playing on like a 500 acre farm or a hundred acre farm, whatever it is, and you now restrict me to an acre, if we're lucky, (laughs) how, how dynamic can you be in a 40 yard by 40 yard backyard? And, And even more so, yeah, 40 by 40 that has a 10 by 30 <laughs> chunk of woods with two trees you can climb in it. And an anti-hunter on one side. Yeah, and I yeah. have to park at the dude's driveway. Mm-hmm. And I have to walk in one way. And now now you have, have constrained me to this tiny little box where, I mean, I'm at the point where I explain this to people where I think urban hunting is significantly harder than hunting in a rural area. And, and my, my justification for that is the, all the additional factors that go into urban hunting. And I think it's property lines for me. That's, that's, what, that's the most difficult part is the access. If you have a 100-acre floodplain you know, right around where we hunt and you had access to the entire thing, oh, my gosh, that yeah. would be, that'd be, it'd be incredible. But now it's not just the access of we're, we're hunting this one property. Um, it's two acres. It's, you know, three, even let's say, God forbid, five acres. Um, if you shoot a deer also, and it runs 200 yards away, how many one acre properties do you have to knock on? 
do you have to go through on 200, you know, 200 yard run? Yeah. You know, that, that's a real challenge. So we have to limit our shots. We don't take 40 and 50 yard bombs. I don't do that really much. Anyway, I've taken longer shots before, but in tight settings, you know, I've definitely passed on many, many deer that are in that 30 to 40 yard range that I go, I, I know I can do it. Yeah. But I can't risk in this situation, in this setting, to have a deer run 150 yards. It's got to die within 50. Yeah. The difference between 50 yards and pile up and 150 to 250 yards is, is all of those doors, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. that you have to knock on to get Maybe permission the police. to track. Yep. And, and on top of that, you know, the optics to the neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of these homeowners are putting their faith in you as a respectable, ethical, stand-up, good representative of hunting, they don't want to hear from their neighbors that, oh, that guy that you let hunt here came over and knocked on the door yesterday because a deer ran away or had to go look for a deer back here. Or, God forbid, I had a deer pile up in my yard and I called the neighbor kind of thing where, you know, there are now... In that example, that 150-yard run, if there are five or six homeowners now that you have to knock on the door of, get permission, well, now those people are aware that you're operating in that area. And I don't care how pro-hunting somebody is that you have permission from, if their neighbor next door or two doors down or whatever is starting to put pressure on them for for allowing you to hunt there, you're done. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't blame the homeowner if they that live happens. There. They yeah. live there. They have to see that person all the time. Mm-hmm. You got to drive past the mailbox. You got to wave at them or have your kid go by their Halloween, whatever Taylor, it is. you can't hunt anymore. My neighbors are TPing and egging my house. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing yeah. to do with us yeah, hunting. Yeah, well, it has nothing to do with us. Yeah, but and, and so, you know, when you're hunting in a rural area, you have just one property owner. And mm-hmm. obviously, you have adjacent owners, but, I mean, even on that big farm, you only have so many options as to how many landowners that abut that property. It's a significantly smaller number, and you're you're so much further removed from the property lines. I mean, there are spots that you and I hunt that, I mean, I'm thinking of one right now. It's right down the street that, I mean, we're hunting in the bottom of this floodplain, and there are like eight, three to $5 million houses mm-hmm. up on the hills looking down into where we're hunting. I mean, even as far as when we're coming in or leaving a property, we have to be mindful of our headlamps, Um, mindful of where we're parking. You know, multiple times you and I have been out and had the police interactions, not because we're doing anything wrong, but just because the neighbors are are seeing what's going on or they drive past the car. They don't know what's going on. They see a vehicle that it's out of place. So, and and I don't blame them for neighborhood watch. They want to take care of their 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 friends and their neighbors um they see something suspicious you know they they want to investigate or at least call the landowner for sure you know but that's just something else that we have to deal with that i i would be very surprised to hear from rural hunters that have had you know multiple police interactions because you go to a farm you drive down the the entrance or whatever road Yeah. yeah or even if you're parking on the side of the road i mean through all my years hunting in rural environments i've had one interaction with a game warden and he just happened to be driving by when i was walking out and stopped and checked me for my license Mm -hmm. on public land in the mountains it's like yeah i i expect that guy to ask me 
for my license, doing his job, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I mean, and also one thing that also comes to mind is scouting. Sure. So when you're scouting, in my opinion, in a rural environment, I, I would, I don't want to say hunting in a rural environment is easy, but if you take a traditional Midwestern farm with thick bedding cover and agricultural fields and some fingers that run up into those fields, I think it's relatively pretty easy to figure out where the deer are feeding, figure out how you want to access that proper, that, that specific mm-hmm. spot, you know, where are they bedding? Where are they feeding? How can I get in here and intercept from point A to point B with the proper wind and really put an action plan together pretty well? Now, and I, I do want to touch on this though. You're saying it's easy to formulate that plan. But the execution Absolutely. is the difficulty, right? Story. So, so when we talk about the the difference between suburban versus rural and easy versus difficult and that that type of thing, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. You're not saying that going and killing a a big buck on a rural property is easier than Definitely and not. vice versa, right? No, no, no. And there, I mean, hell, our we're talking are... about the nuances of our setups and yes. and the challenges that and, we have. And there are spots. In, in rural environments that are incredibly difficult to hunt. For sure. example, our, our place in Ohio, it's a freaking mountain. There's a road that runs down the spine of it. We have some food plots. But other than that, it's just thick, thick woods on a slope like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I can start at the top and kind of work down <laughs> to the bench, but like the wind, you know. And, and, and I'm going to walk back up. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, which is tough for me. Yeah. I'll sleep here. <laughs> Come for me in a week. But um you know, as far as scouting deer in those agricultural areas and, and figuring out where they are, yes, that's relatively mm-hmm. what I would consider easy. You could also say it's easy to find deer in an urban environment because they're in the yard every day and it's hard to put that game plan together. But you can only see in those front yards driving by. And go ahead and drive by a bunch of times, two, two three times a week. People start to notice Look at that truck. It keeps driving by. It's driving slow. It's staring at our yard. It's staring at our house. They're thinking you're a predator or yeah. a burglar or something like that. So you may have the police called on you. So that, that can be difficult, too. Yeah. You, I think that on the other side of that, there are some some easier things, I think, that, that urban hunting um, allows for us to do. Well, I, I think there's certain setups that I love to look for, and I will eschew others because I love these and I love having floodplains that are in between that are that run right up the gut of a neighborhood yeah especially if it's like an HOA land I can get permission on or if one landowner has a big pocket of that and because there's tons of pinch points in those you know sometimes it's hard to find the bedding versus the feeding because both of them are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're yeah. everywhere. I mean, you, you can, as long as there isn't a dog barking or, or kids, you know, throwing rocks at the deer or someone hunting, um, they they can bed in the front yard, in the backyard, under the bushes, or down into the floodplain. There's no rhyme or reason. To where you, they are. To, to yeah. where they need, because they don't to need to be. Yep. Yeah, they don't need to be. Um, they don't, don't need to be in a certain place for cover. They don't have you know, tons of predators who are pressuring them, and there's you know, a lot of food everywhere with all these yards. And that's kind of one of the next things I wanted to, to think through and, and chat about is what's interesting is uh, the difference between the two as far as 
like hunting pressure goes because mm-hmm. it's pros and cons on both sides. Sure. Whereas in a, in an urban environment, I feel like the deer kind of work like what I call a circuit where they're in a spot for a little while, then they kind of move off and they move off. And I think it's because they're constantly getting bumped. I think it's a combination of things. I think mm-hmm. it's because they're constantly getting bumped and there's a significant lack of brows. So mm-hmm. they kind of are always moving to find the brows and then the, you know, little Timmy and Tommy come out back and spook the deer. And then they run a couple houses down and then the dog bumps them and they kind of run a little more and they'll be here for a couple of days and kind of work back through. But, you know, it's very unusual to find a, a property around here that just has deer all the time. Mm-hmm. And then add into that our interactions with them where we're going in and we're trying to be as, as minimally invasive as possible but we're still there. We crack a couple deer inevitably, and then, you know, they bounce off, and this cycle continues. Whereas, in a rural environment, you're much, you have an easier way of controlling those deer. You know, so take the the big soybean field with the deer on the back of it, early season kind of thing, where you know they're bedding in that little thicket. You know they're coming back on whatever corner the wind is is blowing into, and you know generally they're going to be there day in and out however if you go in there and bump them like they are not used to smelling human scent the human interactions like Mm -hmm. we can get away with a lot more here to some extent than than deer in a rural area can but it's always interesting to me how perceptive the urban deer are when it comes to what i call like that bubble right where they know that I'm going to walk out in my yard and shoot my bow all the time. And there will be deer 50 yards into the creek bottom here behind my own house. Yeah, or... They were right by your target the one day we were shooting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And except if we walk into the woods to pull the trail camera card that I had back there, they will booger. They'll mm-hmm. blow because they know that limit of disturbance that I come up to, but it's unusual for me to cross. And... You know, you see that a lot in the areas that we're hunting also, where a homeowner, you know, the same setup as as my yard. There's grass and then there's woods. And when you start crossing into the woods a lot, they pick up on it. They're very perceptive. Um, So I don't think we're able to really get away with a ton more. But, like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like at our place in Ohio, the wind will switch. And all of a sudden I hear snorting like 100 yards off. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, man. Yeah, I I think it around here around these these urban sites when we do just walk in and scout for example uh, even during the season it's just like someone else some kid running through the woods it's it's very common for these deer to see that Um, you go to a a more more rural setting where no one walks through woods in these certain areas and maybe you're the only person hunting there you go through and scout there and you bump a big buck you may he gone he gone yeah yeah he may be gone forever yeah you know you may never see him so i think that that's definitely a a different aspect but like you said as soon as you get up into a tree they know yeah. they know the difference it's like they know what's out of the ordinary they can they see those patterns and they pick up on those patterns when it's out of the ordinary and they they recognize it um again that's another Boom, they're gone. Well, and that's why, regardless of hunting in an urban or a rural environment, your access is so critical. Mm-hmm. Because even if you go in in a, in a manner and come out 
and you don't bump any deer, those deer are going to cross your foot traffic. They're going to smell that you were in there, and they know what's up. Mm-hmm. They know that, that okay, a two-legger was here, something's wrong, or, or you know, they're coming after us. That's a predator, and, and they're going to adjust their travel accordingly. Um, yeah, and especially when, especially late season, there's no, there's hardly any cover. It's all deciduous trees. You walk in. And you can see through the woods because, like you said, there's no brows. There's yeah. no understory. Um, and it's all deciduous. And you can see for a couple hundred yards. If the deer are bedded within a couple hundred yards and they know you hunt there, go go climb a tree and waste a couple hours in the evening. Yeah. Because they're going to go, oh, there he is. I'm going the other way. That's a that's a big challenge. And you only have one entrance point, one exit point. You know, it's a end of the cul-de-sac you can pull into the driveway (laughs) and as soon as you walk into the yard that's where the deer are yeah well we even uh you know you and i hunt on a property that's a a little bit bigger of a property and the driveway runs in with a couple mounds overlooking it and we later found out that the the bigger more mature bucks on that property were bedding in a spot to overlook the driveway not in a spot that that you would historically see bedding in. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, if you think about it logically, it makes sense. They're like, well, you bed to watch out for predators. We're the predators. Like they know when the big truck comes rolling in that they're going to booger. Mm-hmm. And that when the little, you know, smart cars driving up and down the, with the, the big old flag coming out the top, you know, they're, they don't have to worry about anything. Maybe you should disguise and uh, go in in a Prius. Okay. So funny. You mentioned that I am going to take an Uber in there next year well that's kind of like what we we've dropped each other off before Mm -hmm. and that is is like we joke but that's like the urban version of having the farmer take you to the tree stand Mm -hmm. because and and that kind of relates back to what we're talking about where like the deer know what to look for and what to avoid or they know what's out of the ordinary exactly Mm -hmm. and if you can stick to the ordinary as much as possible whatever that ordinary is i think you're in good shape because if you're riding in with the farmer on the tractor or if you're taking an Uber in and getting dropped off in some little like commuter car or, you know, you and I, we've done this before. We've walked in together and then I'll turn around and leave while you climb a like tree. Like we're checking cameras exactly. or something like that. Yeah. And, and that it's amazing how quickly deer will come back out, um, you know, or the same thing like you and I keep track of when the landscapers come to a lot of mm-hmm. these properties in the fall. And when they're blowing leaves, we'll come run out there while they're blowing leaves and climb into the tree, which is hilarious to the guys that are blowing leaves because they're like, what is this weirdo doing, right? But we give them all venison and they love it. So, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, when you run in behind those leaf blowers and you climb a tree, those deer come running out when Mm -hmm. those leaf blowers leave because they like that little grass. Yep, and the acorns are there. They, they like, uncover them. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's little tricks like that. that Well, but, yeah, it's all about kind of – whether regardless of your hunting in urban or rural environment, like figure out what's normal here mm-hmm. and, and how can I use that to my advantage um, to, to slip in. But, you know, it's funny because regardless of, of property size, the, well, the property size obviously is a big determining factor between them, but the deer density does not make urban hunting easier. I, and I think that the property line, the, the tiny kind of area we get to color inside of really makes it very difficult, especially when you factor in the number of neighbors that we have to interact with. Mm-hmm. And, and the majority of people that we're interacting with are 
on the fence about hunting to begin with. You know, like very rarely do we knock on a door and somebody's like, oh, hell yeah, brother, go go knock mm-hmm. them down. Right. They're normally even like, more rare when when they say I already hunt here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that is right. And so now it's like most of the time it's like eh, and that's a great response. Mm-hmm. Right. And if instead of just getting a no or somebody screaming at you um, and the scent, obviously the interactions, what are some other things you can think of that are like major differences between rural and urban hunting? Well, it's the oddities. Right. It's the those odd little situations that we've gotten into so um do you remember do you i know you i know you remember the very first time you and i hunted on a suburban property together yeah remember that yeah i think i doubled okay i think i think you shot minutes into the hunt yeah well yeah i shot one because that's what led to the issue yeah oh no no no. but that property is yeah we can we can tell that story um on that property um i was at full draw on a deer, and it was really early in the morning, right next to a golf course, and I'm within 20 yards. I was in that kill tree. Mm-hmm. I was within 20 or 30 yards of the house, and I'm at full draw on a doe, and something out of the corner of my eye towards the house, just it, it, there was movement, okay? And I'm at full draw, and I'm ready to drill this doe, and I look over, and there's two the little kids. They're like two, three, four years old, look looking out the window, watching the deer. I knew they weren't looking at me. I could see them looking yeah. at the deer, and I'm like, oh. and I let down, <laughs> and I didn't shoot that deer because of that. I mean, that was a prime, yeah, like 15-yard slam dunk, 150-pound doe. I wanted to take her out, and I, I didn't shoot. You know, how often do you have that? There have been other times in same situation where the landowners are watching out the window and you're at full draw and they're watching you and you know you can see them cheering for you (laughs) to shoot and talk about pressure yeah you know or when you know like you've got one buck tag left and a small forky or a nice real nice big 11 pointer walks out (laughs) virginia 11 pointer. yeah yeah (laughs) and and you pass it and you've had it happen you try to get to your truck and but before you get there the landowner comes out what do you I, I thought you were here to kill deer i saw a deer walk right by you didn't even shoot it why didn't you shoot that deer and you're always like well wasn't the shot i was looking for i mean what else can you say yeah and sometimes they get a little irritated they're like look i gave you permission to be on my property kill these deer yeah so i oblige well yeah and, th- and that is one other thing though is the fact that you know we're not we're not hunting target bucks, mm-hmm. right? Part of the deal that we have with these people, and it's really what we owe to the the population of deer control or deer management, is we need to kill every deer that we have an ethical shot on. And, you know, we limit ourselves to close shots, and we're not going to take anything unless it's a slam dunk 12 ring. But at the same time, it's hard to shoot, like, a little 115-inch 8-pointer when... Like they're big deer running around here. Mm-hmm. They're they're good deer. Now it's it's definitely hard to get on them and hunt them, and that's a whole other story because of the property lines, or whatever. But I mean, it's tough to crack a hundred and fifteen inch little basket rack eight pointer that you know you don't. It doesn't excite you. It's tougher as far for as you than it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I like them. Yeah. Well, they all taste the same, <laughs> and we know that I'm going to make sure I'm fed more than anything. But yeah, it, it's definitely. Uh, it's an adjustment factor. And it's yeah. funny because now 
we've been doing this for so long that I'm at the point where like on our Ohio farm, I see a doe coming in and I like, grab my bow and then I have to think to myself, I'm like, Oh wait, Oh yeah. We're buck hunting here. Yeah. I'm not in kill mode 24 <laughs> seven safety back on like chill out. <laughs> but I mean, I, I just love shooting stuff with a bow and arrow and I yeah. know you do too. And it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons that this is such a great environment for us to hunt in. And it's kind of funny how, like, we both stumbled into this urban hunting, and we both had different paths into it. But it it's funny how if you're, like, really passionate about something, you'll find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so cool to me to think about how, like, not only did we luck into this scenario for urban hunting, because we're both here because our family businesses are here. Sure, And, and that's absolutely. what drew us back to this area. I'm pretty sure we'd both live in Montana or somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Utah, um, Montana. It'd be somewhere, yeah. yeah somewhere, somewhere very Where you rural. get one deer tag, right? Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> and you have to draw, right? Yeah, but oh. um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that sounds awful. <laughs> um, and, and, but think about that compared to we have unlimited tags. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, no, we still have to pay for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and but as many antlerless tags that we want, that we want. That's we, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it. And you know, we start thinking about this, and yes, it's difficult dealing with all the property owners. Yes, there are a lot of, um, you know, oddities that we incur. There's a lot of red tape that we have to go through. There's a lot of stuff that we've dealt with along the way, but to be able to hunt 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. To be able to look at the weather this week and for us to have to restrain ourselves from hunting instead of having to beg to go hunt mm-hmm. and to just be able to shoot as many deer as you want. And and the other thing is, it's important to point out that we have the most phenomenal program ever here in Virginia called Hunters for the Hungry, where we are able to take every deer we shoot and every scrap of meat from that deer goes to feeding people in need, people, whether mm-hmm. it be homeless or less fortunate or whatever, but, you know, that to me makes it even that much better. Oh, sure. Because, I Absolutely. Mean, I can eat a lot of food, but I'm not eating as many deer as we kill a year. No, I mean, I think we go through, depending on if I kill an elk or not, which I didn't this past year. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll eat five or six deer, my family, every year. But uh, any more that I shoot, I have to give away. Luckily, there's there are plenty of people who want it. Absolutely. And Hunters for the Hungry is an ideal deal place it goes right to a butcher the butcher gets a little cash in his pocket and then you know as a non-profit organization they're able to supply and disseminate that food to i mean all across the state really yeah it's yeah. awesome and, and so the other thing is i think it's really important for the people that live in this area to know that we're doing that with the meat as well yeah um but you know and granted a lot of these comparisons you know, you have a pretty good amount of rural hunting experience. My rural hunting experience wasn't on private land. It's mostly public land with a, a little bit of private land mixed in. And, um, you know, even now, the, the rural properties that I hunt still in the state of Virginia mm-hmm. are all relatively close by where I still yeah. am dealing with the same kind of oddities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it, it's amazing to me when you get up into, like, our place in Ohio that we hunt or uh, when we go out west to... You know, like uh, Missouri and hunt or whatever, Iowa, Illinois, insert Midwestern state here. It's just so cool to like be able to just go out into the farm and hunt and not worry about the neighbors or not worry about mm-hmm. your headlamp. Or, yeah, and you can think, I can go wherever I want. Yeah. As far as I can see, 
I can go hunt wherever. You know? Now, the deer densities in a lot of those places are a lot lower, so there's a different type of scouting. There's a different, you know, means to it, but you still, it's it's refreshing to be able to say, oh, I can I can pick any tree I want. Yeah. It might be the worst tree on the farm, but <laughs> I can. Because I, I can... picked it. <laughs> now, you, know, you mentioned scouting. When you're scouting an urban spot, are you looking for anything different than, than what you're looking for in a rural area? Um, That's a loaded question, yeah. though, because let's pretend postseason scouting, because uh, I think you and I look for different stuff mm-hmm. scouting depending on time of season or mm-hmm. what, what we're trying to do. So let's just say postseason scouting an area. What are you looking for in the suburbs versus a rural spot? Space, number one. I, I want to – I'm not usually going to go into – I'll check out Onyx to see. Is this how, in the burbs or is this in – In the suburbs, okay. yeah. Um, if they're all quarter-acre lots – and there isn't a nice, decent-sized lot there. I don't even look at the neighborhood. Um, uh, so first is size of properties. Um, the second thing is type of vegetation. So um, you talk about postseason. I'll go find the thickest, nastiest, you know, most impenetrable areas right now for late season um, into spring green up because that's where all the deer are going to be. Yep. But those spots are sometimes too thick and too miserable to hunt throughout the summer, late, late summer, early fall, late fall, and even around Christmas time. Sometimes those areas are still too thick, even after most of the leaves have, have gone down. So, so space is number one. And then the second is the vegetation type. Um, I think last in these settings is topography um, because we don't usually have much of a um, I, 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 we don't have enough access to say, oh, well, I'm going to hunt on the lee side of this, you know, huge hill today. Well, I don't have a property over there. I only have this one property. So, so those are the three that I really look at. I mean, there's all of them are going to have deer. Even the wide open areas are going to have deer. But um, those are the three things that I pick first. And then when you're hunting in a rural area, are you looking for? Are you starting with topography first? Um, if, if it's a blank canvas and I yeah. just want to go find a place to hunt. Brand I, new farm. Oh, so I already have the farm? You have the farm, brand new spot. Okay. Never been boots on the ground before. Okay. So if I, if I don't have a farm, I'm going to look for where the deer are right mm-hmm. first, which, you know, which farms that I do want to hunt in. Um, then the second thing right off the bat is where's the bedding? Where are they bedding in relation to where I can access? Yeah. Because from there, it's all about food. You know that they're going to bed for security and they're going to go eat to fill their bellies. So then I can kind of play off of that. Yeah. And it would be tough for me to go to a property and hunt a property that it had. I don't care how great it is, but if it has poor access and you're bumping deer or causing some abnormality that throws them off of their game, um, it, I'd rather find a new spot. Yeah. Well, it's going to, you're going to be spinning your wheels in the mud. Exactly. Right? So it's funny. So I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that is because we're able to hunt so much and because we do get to have a lot of tree time, you know, we want to be as efficient as possible, whether we're hunting in the burbs or hunting in a rural spot, you know, we might have some sits that are more, um, observation type mm-hmm. sets, but I'm still trying to kill something. I mean, my observation sit is still in an area that has a potential. You're still for bringing harvest. your bow. Yes. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sitting in the car <laughs> with my binos. Um, but yeah, like if I go and scout a a urban spot, I'm doing exactly what you're doing, where I'm looking for the uh, the thickest spot possible. So yeah. like from a bird's eye view, I'm trying to find those large congregations of spots like creek beds or travel corridors in general. Get in there, find those big thick cover spots. Mm-hmm. That's where they're bedding. It's pretty easy to find the trails out of them. Yep. And then start figuring out my access. And then the other thing I do is I run around and I mark every white oak I'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Because come September, I'm going to go find one or a handful that are dropping. It's funny how you pull up on X and it's like, ooh, look at that concentration right there. Yeah. You know, and then... It looks like a roadmap. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and I think one of the benefits of that also is that when you have years like we did, it was two years ago when we hardly had any white oaks that dropped. This year was kind of eh, mm-hmm. so this upcoming year should be great. But two years ago, it was, it was like non-existent. But if you pick every single white oak on that property, there's going to be one that's dropping. Yep. So if you're in a grove and there's nothing there and you're not seeing deer, they're somewhere, they're, they're close. Yeah. You know, they're in another area, they're on another tree. And if you find that one tree that's dropping game for sure and what's cool is between you and i we have enough spots yeah or that we have enough white oaks mark that we're like come september we're laying them out it's just a matter of where are they it might take mm-hmm. us a day or two to kind of find them and that's where you know cell cameras and stuff like that have really shortened the learning curve for us uh yeah. as far as figuring out which property to go to to kill oh but, that's uh, cell cameras have been a complete game changer yeah in the way that i hunt um, I, I'm definitely not wasting as much time as I did before. My, um, hunts per deer has gone down, you know, I'm killing, I'm just more efficient now. Yeah. And I don't know, is it cheating? Eh, I, I think it depends on how you use it. I mean, I really like using them in areas where I want to put a hundred on a one acre property. So I just, <laughs> yeah. I can just map them out. Spend that money, buddy. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of coverage plans. But yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to me. Um, I love them. Mm-hmm. I find myself though trying to, I, I think you have to use them correctly Yeah. because it's not a shortcut. It It's, it's no different than hanging a trail camera and coming back a year later and checking it and using it as Intel. You're just getting the Intel real time. And so you need to use that to still think like proactively into the future mm-hmm. instead of like I, when I first got trail cameras, I found myself being a day behind because I'm like getting a picture. And I'm like going there and I'm like, what are you doing? This mm-hmm. is think about why they're using this mm-hmm. still think about, you know, where's you the bedding, where's yeah. the food. Um, you just know that they're using the area and I really like it for knowing about access. Mm-hmm. So like at our place in Ohio, I have one right on the front gate. I don't see any deer on it. I'm looking for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of the spots that we're hunting in the urban environment get a lot of pressure from outside people that aren't hunters, but maybe there's some high school kids that are going to crush beers on a Friday night or, you know, somebody wandering through the woods, blatantly trespassing or whatever mm-hmm. is going on, especially now with COVID and people just being so outdoors home, more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like making sure that I'm not going in to hunt a spot that, you know, a couple stoner dudes went and smoked a blunt in the day mm-hmm. before. One of the other things that I'm, I've just recently started doing is I used to take, let's say I have 10 trail cameras. I'd go put them on 10 properties. Now I don't do that. Now 
I'll take a trail camera and put it on a good focal point and then put my other trail cameras off of the access to that. So then I'm seeing where the deer are going. So let's say I've got a funnel, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, between bedding and, and feeding areas. I will put one on that funnel because it's it's a no-brainer. You're going to get the most pictures there. But then I put my others on the travel corridor and the the different travel uh, path that they can get to that funnel. Yeah. So then I can narrow down exactly where they're coming from. That has helped me tremendously. I'll, I'll, I'll focus a camera in one spot and then not far away, 20, 30 yards away, I'll put the cam- another camera facing in a different direction. And if I'm not getting any pictures there, then I know there's no deer coming from that direction. And I'll turn it. I'll go move it and turn it. Yep. See if so. It, it just gives me a, a map. Um, and it's smart to do that, and that works regardless of if you're in an urban or rural mm-hmm. environment. Sure. I mean, and that's kind of like at the end of the day, deer are deer, right? They they're gonna bed where it's safest. They're gonna eat. You know, they're gonna travel to food. They're gonna bed primarily close to where their food source is or, you know, you get the layered bedding and you can go down the rabbit holes as deep as you want. But, but deer are deer. Mm-hmm. They're a prey species. They're trying not to die. They, they want to eat, they want to sleep, and they want to fornicate for a couple of weeks a year. Come on. And, yeah, bring it on, buddy. And um, so they're just like me. Yeah. <laughs> just a couple of weeks a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks, because I got a day. It's my birthday. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, and so, you know, yeah – you get a bunch of these like other factors and you can compare uh, apples to oranges mm-hmm. to some extent between urban and rural, whatever. And, and there's some fun examples that we can go into on both, but, but generally, you know, you have to figure out your path through the stuff, but you're doing the same thing. They're just different barriers that you're kind of going around, whether it be a bunch of property owners or access to, to deer that aren't used to people or, how to cross that bubble as as lightly as possible, you know, whatever it might be, um, there are a bunch of factors, but but there really aren't that many differences at a high level. It's between... not the deer that have the differences; it's where we're hunting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you had talked about you kind of wanted to do uh, tales from the burbs, right? Yeah. So let's talk about a story um, that both of us were involved in that uh, you're not going to find very much in a rural setting. Okay. Um, Actually, we're coming up on a year. It's when COVID first hit. Yeah. You and I were hunting, and it's it's a pretty suburban area. There's a lot of houses around, and we're texting back and forth, probably making lewd jokes. (laughs) For sure. We were we were (laughs) were within about you know seventy five to one hundred yards of each other. Yeah. Well, so let's set the scene because where we're hunting is a um, it's a development. And this individual bought uh, two lots. Mm-hmm. So we're hunting on an out lot that has no house on it near a couple other houses. And when this area was first getting developed, there was a driveway that the developer put in to drive to the top of this hill and look around and show off the entire parcel. And so when this dude bought that lot, that driveway just became grass. Mm-hmm which is now our parking spot. So we call it the driveway to nowhere, but we pulled in on the driveway. You parked behind me. We met up, we talked for a bit and we went out to our trees. And so I was probably like 200 yards from, from the trucks. truck mm-hmm. and you were probably a hundred yards from the truck, but you were more parallel with the road. And I was more in on like a, 
you know, 30 degree angle yeah. from you, 45 degree angle. And you were also faced in the direction of the vehicles because yeah. you texted me something sexual. <laughs> and then you said, hey, I think someone just pulled up behind our trucks. Yep. Someone's so, parked there. And so it was in the dark and I saw the amber light on mm-hmm. of a car and I pulled my binos out and the, the sun was literally like coming up or it was it was a uh, gray light, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like fully sunlight. I remember looking up and seeing the the light of a car, and I could see the front quarter panel, and I was like, oh, what's going on here? This is a, it was like a, I think it was a Ford Taurus. I couldn't see. It was like red, and it mm-hmm. looked like a crackhead's car. And I'm like, oh, no, is this, my first thought was, this is a, like, crackhead from the city that's out here, like, stealing stuff from people's mm-hmm. house you know some weird obscure thought that you have yeah but it's hard morning. to see because I mean, you were probably close to 200 yards away yeah i was a ways away but my first instinct was it's like a beat up pos car mm-hmm. you know like it, it looked weird and then i saw i was texting you i said did you know do you see that car or something and i think you said yeah i don't know what they're doing and then you said my my truck dome lights came on yeah that they're they're in my car. I'm getting down. Yep, yep. I could act so. So I looked back and I could see someone walking around our trucks, and then you know when when you open up a door, a lot of times the the exterior lights and the dome light. Obviously, the dome light's going to come yeah, on, yeah. but the exterior lights will come on. Yeah, it was your cab light. I think is what is the the thing that comes into. Your yeah, truck. I also yeah. saw like the the like the uh, ter- the signal lights. Mm-hmm. You know, on on my car when you open it up, everything kind of flashes once. And I said, that son of a bitch is getting, he's in my truck. I'm getting down right now. Yeah. And so I immediately, I'm putting stuff to the ground. Um, I get down to the ground. My sticks, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start putting my sticks together, cradled up. And I heard someone walking in the woods. And I, at first I thought it was you. Um, I was like, wow, how did he get down so fast? You know. <laughs> but then as I look up, I hear, yeah. put your hands where I can see him. Freeze. Don't you fucking move and he i'm like oh my gosh and at that point you had started recording yeah with your phone so you know we're in a floodplain the topography kind of comes down the hill and i was looking at our cars and i I started getting a little concerned when you said that they were in your car Mm -hmm. because you know it looks like my first thought crackhead car now your, your door is open, yep. like they're robbing your car, mm-hmm. and my car is next, you know? I actually remember pulling my phone out and trying to lock my car via the mm-hmm. app. You were too far away. Yeah, like, like wouldn't, I didn't think I had service or whatever. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see a police officer coming down the hill with his his machine gun, his, rifle, <laughs> his patrol rifle, like shouldered, like at the, low, at the high ready, I guess yeah, is yeah. the... the proper term pointed at, at my you. face yeah and and screaming and and i just remember uh the feeling of like how heightened this oh, yeah. police officer like the level that he had raised this to mm-hmm. right like gun shouldered and i'm like oh my god and i remember i took my phone out and i recorded it when i first saw the guy i the officer i started recording it because i'm like oh this is a good example to show people what we have to deal mm-hmm. with in the suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Like a cop is interrupting our hunt. And then when I saw him, when he started screaming at you and, and um, I could hear in his voice 
like how elevated he was, yeah, he, I got he really was, freaked he out. He was nervous. Yeah. And I yeah. was I was freaked out because I'm like, this dude's going to shoot Billy. Yep. Was my first So thought. So then he gets over to me and I'm frozen, hands are up, and, and I had a stick in my hand. That he probably didn't know what the hell the stick was. Also. Thank so God you didn't turn he's like, it, like look at him. Yeah, what if I had my bow or a crossbow or something and I just turn towards like what? Like, you know? Yeah. So he comes over and he gets behind me and he frisks me. And that is, I, I, yeah, that's the first time I've ever had someone literally, I mean, full on grab every bit of my body yeah. and make sure I didn't have a pen knife. Right. Mm -hmm. So then he's going, are you here by yourself? I'm like, I, I've got a buddy. He's right over there. He's like, then he, then he got really freaked out. He's yeah. like, Hey, come over here i remember he now did, he was like where's your buddy where's he at where's he at yeah where's then, he at that's yeah, what he yeah. said and then taylor's like i'm here i'm coming and he said you're not coming fast enough and he's like sir i'm in a tree i'm i'm trying to get down you need to get here now and he's yelling yeah, at taylor he was so mad and i remember i was trying to explain in my mind I sir was, i can't jump out of a tree yeah, and and i have all this crap you know and like <laughs> as you climb the tree it like all my stuff is layered to come out i can't just bail out of the tree yeah. you know and so i'm like um i'm like trying to put my camera away and i wish i had recorded this and i i just like swung over out of the way in my backpack and dropped down um and i was hunting in a tree that had some like pegs in it so it was kind of awkward to like come off the the platform and, and come down the tree but I remember I walked over with my hands up, and you were, I think you were on your knees with your hands interlocked, right? Yeah, and that's right, because he searched us both at the same time, didn't he? No, he searched me first. So, so I, at that point, I think he was able to allow me to step away and, like... I just remember I was like, sir, what is going on? And he was like, I didn't ask you to talk. I told you yeah. to shut your mouth. And I'm like, <laughs> like dude, we go. you know, like, like, it's pretty obvious what we're doing, right? At least, I mean, to anybody... That, that is able to walk yeah. and chew gum at the same time. They should know what we're doing. Yeah. And um, so then he checks all of our, our licenses, our permission forms, and, everything, and we're totally. Yeah, legit. We're, we're legit. We're good to go. So then everything at that point calms down, okay, to a, to a, a, a reasonable <laughs> level, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think you asked, you said, hey, um, so whoever called and complained about us, um, can you tell us who it is or can you talk to them and say, hey, these people have permission to be here? And he said, nobody called. No one called. We got you guys on thermal. On the drone. Yeah, that's He's right. On the drone. Yeah. I said, you don't have a drone. What are you talking well, about? Well, at first, remember, I had heard a helicopter go over earlier. So yeah. I just, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe they were using, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm yeah. not a police officer. I'm not a criminal. I don't yeah, know what's going on. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I don't, I don't do these types of things. I don't run from cops. I don't hide from cops very yeah. often, you know? So. We kind of, it, it, it was an abrupt ending. He just that. left. He just says, all right, well, and then he didn't walk towards his car. He walked up towards the house. I'm like, oh, he's going to go up and ask permission or, or, or ask the landowner if we have permission there. He got up to the driveway and then walked down to his car. And then he turned and went deeper into the neighborhood. 15, 20 minutes later, he came creeping back out and left. So we were... I, I was definitely shook up having a you know gun sure. pointed in my face. I was I was I was worried and and you know to to back up a little bit. We've we've had interactions with police officers literally dozens of times while hunting. Very similar situations except 
They've never come into the woods on us. Ever. Ever. They've always gone with the vehicles. They, I've had them, uh, you know, squeak the siren. I've also had them just call, hey, come on out, guys. Come on out. They have to check. Maybe they got a call. Maybe they got a complaint. Whatever it was. And, you know, that's why we always have our paperwork and licenses and permission forms and everything. Well, it, with, makes, with it makes sense from, like, a tactical standpoint, right? Yeah. Like, wait he, by the car. Don't he, just go in. To he just went, run. yeah, he went in blind to two yeah. guys that have weapons. Didn't know how many people. But, right. um, so we... We talk, we, he also radioed once we both got down there something like, yeah, I got him. You can take the guns off him now. Yeah, something. he like, did say something like, like that. like there was like a sniper That's right. up there watching That's us. right. That's right. And then he told us, I'm not a regular cop. I'm a special cop. Yeah. And we said, what are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? And, and every question we asked was, was answered with like, shut up. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't tell you to talk kind of uh, attitude. And I just remember at the time it was like, whoa, we need to deescalate the situation because mm-hmm. this guy's really ramping it up. And then afterwards, after the adrenaline wore off, it was like, wait a minute. That that shouldn't have happened like that. Police no. officers don't act like that. And he should have given us a card. He so then like, we started thinking, maybe that guy wasn't really a cop. I remember his uniform was weird. He had yeah. some like, weird patches it was, or it something. Was, it was, I, things were odd. So we started talking to people, other uh, law enforcement folks and they're like whoa and they saw the video they're like whoa something's definitely wrong here you definitely need to go into the police station and you know talk to someone in there who can give you some answers yeah and, we i actually called mm-hmm. and and dispatched to see if there was a police officer like out on patrol in that area or something because mm-hmm. it was super odd yeah and we ended up going in and meeting with his captain mm-hmm or is mm-hmm. it captain? I, I, I think. I, Lieutenant. I don't, what, I, I don't superior know. Superior officer. It was, it was his superior, and and they even told us, he said, look, and that was right when COVID hit, right when everyone was locked down. Technically, people were saying, you shouldn't have even been out of your home, but I, in our state, we were allowed to go out and do recreational activities hunting and things and like that. Hunting and fishing. You were allowed to do that, and we were out doing it. I thought, when he first came up, I'm like, he's pulling a gun on me because... I'm not in lockdown. Don't have a mask on. What the hell, man? I'm going to cough on you right now, you know? So, but then we talked to the the superior officer or his superior, and he said, Look, guy doesn't get out much, you know, out of the office. And he really was kind of like on a, you know, um, we're numbers are low because of COVID. We don't have as many officers out. So we need to get some more people out. And, you know, I appreciate. And we showed him the video, and he's like, Yeah, well, you know. And he did take both perspectives, I thought, very fairly and objectively. Yeah. You know, and he said, look, you know, from his perspective, he didn't know what was going on. He, he might have told you, you know, certain things because he was trying to protect himself. Maybe you guys had weapons, you know, and he wants to protect himself. I, I get that, too. And um, But, yeah, there were people who were definitely suggesting that we should, you know, go after him and things yeah. like that. And. Um, but but I, what that wasn't that wasn't the point. It was more. And w- remember, we were even going back and forth. Ah, let's not even report it because it's not not a big deal. The guy was just you know thought he was just doing his job. But then after we had really talked about it, talked to other folks, they said you know at the bare minimum, if that officer because that that's a fluke. I mean we we've dealt with dozens and dozens of officers who are just awesome. they know what they're doing. They're yeah. awesome. You know they're they, they do exactly what they're supposed to do and they're they're there to serve and protect and that guy maybe was just a little more gung ho than he needed to be. So maybe that needed to be checked. Yeah, and I think one of the main things cuz we were going back and forth 
yeah. without even reporting it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's important that we are both like huge supporters of <laughs> yeah. law enforcement, right? Absolutely. Like, dude, I'm not trying to cause a problem for this guy. Like, I'm not the dude who's like yelling world star and recording <laughs> something going on, right? Um, it was more of, we got to the point where we were like, hey, this doesn't add up in my mind and I, I want to make sure this guy is really a cop. That's right. Because I don't want to be hunting in the, you know, going in and out of the woods in the dark, whether it's you know, morning or evening hunts, one of them is in the dark and I don't want this dude to be some like weirdo guy who like wants to be a cop and never made it past the psyche valve or something and he's running around with a gun. Yeah, because it was, his actions were so, so out of the ordinary of any police officer we've ever dealt with and then we we started thinking, maybe he isn't a cop. It's right. like the, all the conspiracy theories kind yeah. of coming out, you know. Maybe he's trying to take our hunting spot. You know, he's trying to scare us <laughs> off of it. Yeah. No, not really. But, <laughs> but, I mean, those things, I think that was, when we started talking about it that way, that, I remember saying to you, I was like, I, okay, I, I'm ready to go and at yeah. least talk to him. And because he wanted, he wanted to see if we wanted to make a, a formal report and everything else. We said no. That was not the point is to get this guy in trouble. The point was we wanted to find out if he was a real police officer, one. And then two, is this proper protocol? Is there like, because that's frightening if that's, if that's standard. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, his superior officer said, you know, look, was a little too gung ho. He was very diplomatic about he how he was pretty diplomatic about you know it. <laughs> how he apologized. He said, "Well, you know, it probably shouldn't have happened in that way. I'm sure it won't happen again." And that's kind of how and he it was, was very left. political and poised in his response. There's a reason he was the superior, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was funny. Um, I mean, looking back on it now, we can laugh at it, but it was terrifying, absolutely, to me. And then thinking through. You know, you were hunting with a crossbow because we mm-hmm. were, you know, longer story. We were in there targeting a specific animal that really needed to get harvested. Um, you know, you're looking for that doe that, that yeah. somebody else had shot with an arrow. Well, we and, didn't we didn't know if it was shot or if it was just sick. Yeah. And, and, you know, recently their CWD has been in the state. You know, it was like it looked like something was wrong. But on camera, we, we thought there might have been an arrow injury. But, but yeah. when they get that messed up fur with CWD, you don't know what it is. So exactly. it's just like, all right, let's go in there and smoke her. Right. And so, but, you know, you had your crossbow. Mm-hmm. And thinking about if you had just been, I mean, if the timing had been just slightly different. And yeah. you had turned around with your crossbow in your hand. or In even, my hand, accidentally. Like, I didn't know he was coming and I pointed in the direction. Yeah, or even I, your I climbing stick. Yeah, and and I mean, this dude already had the gun up. Oh like, yeah, ready to rock, and that that could have been. Yeah, because when I I looked bad. up, I saw the barrel like pointed at my face of an M4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I that was, is not good. Nope, nope. And I, I yeah. it took me a long time to like calm down from that that day. I vividly remember. Yeah, that. we talked on the phone like fifty times that day. Yeah, well, and texting back and forth, and, and I, we had put. I think I put the video on Instagram, mm-hmm. and it like caught like oh, viral legs. It blew. Could you imagine if that would have gone out like right after all the George Floyd stuff? Oof. Oh, that would have been bad. That really bad. That would have been terrible. I'm yeah. I'm actually glad it didn't because that would have put an even worse light on law enforcement that shouldn't have been. Yeah, you know? we weren't trying to do that. No, we were, no, no. We were just like. I mean, the only reason I was filming it to begin with was like, oh, look, the cops are here. Like, this is what we deal with in the burbs. Yeah. And then, as but, and then all of a like, sudden he's like shouldering his rifle. Yeah, I was like, like, oh, gosh, like this is bad. Like, like no, no, monkey bad. <laughs> this is not I, good. 
That makes me think. I, I need to look in the mirror and see how ugly I really am. <laughs> see, he pulled a gun on me, you know. Yeah, but so. and and I think the uh, his like superior officer said that he like thought we were in a park. Yeah, Did he say like he that and he yeah, thought he, we were like illegally mm-hmm. in a park, like robbing a house or something. Yeah, there, there some I, apparently the there area. had been a lot of robberies in the area, and he was like he had been riding a desk or for a while. Yeah, and and thought like. Oh, this is my. I did it. This is my opportunity. I cracked it. Mm-hmm. And I, got, you know, I got. I got him. He's pulling his patrol rifle on two <laughs> hunters that <like>, live <laughs> down the street. <laughs> you know, it, thank God we didn't like shoot a deer, okay, and take our camo off and have blood up to our up to our wrists walking out of a backyard. Yeah, I, w- I mean that would have been really bad. Yeah, you know, and. and um, we're talking about the differences between like urban and rural, urban and rural spots. Like, urban and rural. Urban. urban. <laughs> that urban sounds like is, a that sounds like a great that's podcast. Fourth, that's urban and rural. A fourth glass of urban. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, we learned very quickly that we can't use body bags to transport deer in the suburbs nope. because you will interact with the police and is yes. not good. To have the cop shine his light on you after you just slung the body bag in the back of your no, truck. No, <laughs> but body bags, without a doubt, are the best way to transport hands. Literally, down. well, bodies. Yeah, they're they're made to mm-hmm. carry yep. that load. They got the really nice handles on mm-hmm. them. They hold the blood in. They're great. Uh, I I remember we were, I was doing a podcast with I think the guys at Vortex, and they were like, "Where do you buy body bags?" I was like, "Amazon." Amazon. And he was like, "Shut up!" And he <laughs> up. Yeah, you know, I think it was Jimmy. He like pulled up Amazon. He's like, "Oh my god, there are like thirty different brands on here." I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's yeah. a big." Some business. are better than others. People, are, ones people that... are dying to get into them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dad jokes. Those ones that were rubber lined were the best because yeah. no blood came out of them at all. And but, they had the he- real heavy Cordura or whatever handles. Could not destroy them. Yeah. Well, like we need TNK hunting gear to. Uh, to make us a body bag, it'll you'll never destroy it. We'll get Carl Carl Cossuth Cossuth to make one for us. We're <laughs> tethered. It'll be all first light. Yeah, it'll be probably. first light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you have anything else you want to add on urban versus rural? No, no. I I think I think we covered the gist. You know, and you know there are definitely many misconceptions about about urban hunting um some people say oh that's not even hunting you're not really hunting it's yeah, fishing duck- a barrel <laughs> yeah fishing a barrel or whatever come come on buddy <laughs> come and try it no and, and and yeah to that point like it is super hard i think it's i would venture out and say it is impossible to kill more than like three or four deer out of the same tree from the same family group well i, I think if you spread them out You'd have oh from the same family group if yeah. you try to just keep going back and back and back yeah, yeah. I mean you over like a year I mean we have yeah. trees that we, we spread we try to really, hundreds of deer out yeah of but over you the have to decade. just sp- you have to really yeah, spread but, them out over time yeah the key is to understand that that every time you're going in on those spots you're kind of interrupting the area or mm-hmm. disrupting it and and you have to you know select your access points just like you do in a rural area mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean. It, in a nutshell, it's kind of the same, but it's super different. Yep. So. It is, but it isn't. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for checking in. If you have any uh, questions or anything that you want some some more of an explanation on, or if you want to hear some more some more stories and tales yeah, from the birds. We have a few. <laughs> yeah, definitely no shortage. Let us know. Leave a comment below, and uh, thanks for checking us out. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys.